Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you in the name of the Lord God of our Father and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm getting another prop here, so if you're wondering what I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. Um, like it says in Scripture, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Isn't that an awesome inheritance that's waiting for us? It's a possession that we already have through Christ. And all this because God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's pretty awesome. Can you imagine the weight that's taken off our shoulders? Amazing. It just continues to blow my mind even after walking with the Lord close to 40 years. It's just like fresh. I said, oh, that's awesome. So I'm really excited to stand before you today and to share what the Lord has done on my heart. And even though you may not remember the entire message, but that you might take golden, golden nuggets home with you and that you would ponder them through the day or through the week that the Holy Spirit, you would have that encounter with him. And so that he would just open up your soul and say, hey, I want you to know something else. And so that we continue to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to, excuse me, I'll be back in a moment. Thank you, Lord Father, that we have been crucified with you. And it is no longer we who live, but you that live in us. In the life which we now live, we live by faith in you, you who loved us and delivered yourself up for us. We do not nullify your grace, for if righteousness comes through the law, then you died needlessly. But you didn't, and we're forever grateful. Thank you. I'll never forget the time there when I was in third grade. I lived 10 miles away from school, <laughs> and it took three buses to get me there. Entire, prior to taking that third bus, there was a holding station of approximately a 20-minute time frame. It was in an auditorium at a junior high school. I remember morning after morning, I would walk down that hallway, approaching the double doors, and taking a right-hand turn and walking all the way across that auditorium. And around this auditorium, there were chairs completely around its perimeter. I did this day after day, but as I did this, I watched a youngster who had claimed the very first chair at the double doors. And he, he sat in that chair only for 50% of the time, and he was always involved in some kind of mischievous behavior. He would go and literally start fistfights with other boys, or he would take the possession of another and run and tease the living daylights out of the other children. Well, the auditorium monitor always had to probably spend 50% of her time chasing him down, keeping an eye on him, and she would get on his tail and get and to get back to your chair, get back to your chair. And as each day went by, the pitch of her tone was, was getting higher and higher. I could tell she was having enough of him. Well, as this was taking place day after day, internal dialogue would take place within my mind. And I said to myself, boy, I said, when my dad saw me misbehave, he would come, come over and tap me on the shoulder, and he would said, that'll be enough. And sometimes if I didn't get the message, then there'd be some physical affliction placed on my backside. Now, don't be too impressed about the term physical affliction. That's just a spiritual way of saying, I'm getting a spanking. 
So anyways, that does, it does say in Hebrews, though discipline for the moment may not be joyful but sorrowful, yet those who are trained by it will yield the peaceful fruits of righteousness and strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. But, and uh, make your path straight for your feet, for the limb which may be lame will not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Well, the only thing I remember is that my father's hands continued to be strengthened. My knees continued to be feeble. It felt it, one wallop was enough. My dad had a difference of opinion. And it felt like eternity for the peacefulness to arrive. Okay, so be it. But however, my limbs were not lame because accuracy was, was my dad's specialty. But the items that were lame was my foolishness, my disobedience, and my rebellion. So they had to go, and humility had to be placed right back into that crooked path of which I have established, and my father would say, here, let me make that straight for you. Well, that was pretty much the attitude of physical affliction. Sometimes physical affliction is worth more than a thousand lectures. And my father said, would you like more? Nope, I'm done. But anyways... I would, so my bus number was called, and off to, off to school I would go. And so, fast forwarding all the way to the first week of November, walking down the hallway, taking a right-hand turn, and I walk, I take approximately two steps into the auditorium, and I said to myself, you know, I don't feel like, like walking across that room today. So it just so happens that I sit in the chair that I knew very well who was the claimant of that chair, who never allowed anyone, anyone else to sit in that chair. I decide to sit in that chair, and a few seconds later, there was a grip on my left upper arm, and I was in a process of being spun in a counterclockwise rotation. It just so happens it was the claimant of that chair. As I turned out of eye contact, darts in his eyes, anger in his tone, he said, that's my chair! Well, on that force of turn, my it extended my arm, but it did not affect my fingers because my fingers accidentally, purposely, or purposely accidentally, at the completion of that turn, pow! right in the left side of his jaw. No holding back. It sent him hurling into the little girl who was sitting on his right. He ricocheted off her shoulder. His hands went immediately to his jaw. The impact of the blow and the wail from his lungs quieted everyone in the, in the near vicinity. I said to myself, I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, the next thing that was placed was a gentle pair of hands placed on my shoulders, and looking up over my right shoulder, the monitor said, she said, Okay, now that will be enough. She gently turned me and gave me a little push to demonstrate that she was in command. I started walking across the hardwood floor. I was watching the slats go by. I said to myself, that's all I got? I should have punched him again. <laughs> I completed my journey, and I looked, and then I distinctly remember saying, got him. <laughs> okay, time for a confession. <laughs> Now, I have made some spiritual progress in my Christian walk since then. Well, maybe there was vengeance in my heart. But I thought about it. Well, he never came to my side of the room to start a fist fight with me. Okay, that ruled that out. He never came over to, to grab a possession of mine to run with it. That's what it was. It was justice. You know why? Because I had motivation. <clears throat> I was the secret admirer of the monitor. I had a crush on her. How dare anyone of whom I have a crush on? You're going down. But bus number was called, and off to school I went. The following morning, halfway down that hallway, I completely forgot about the incident that took place the previous day. I said, oh, that's right. That took place yesterday. Well, it didn't take long for me to gather up my courage, because come to find out, I had a good right hook. 
I was going to use it if I had to. So I walked in through the double doors. There he was, sitting in his chair, and his, his head was turned to the right. And so I waited there long enough for his, tur- for his head to turn, eye-to-eye eye contact, then he cowered away. Then I, as a little guy, then I knew one punch was enough. And the third confirmation that I knew that the one punch was enough is that he never, ever left his chair again. How much is enough? How much is enough money retirement? How many timeouts is enough for a child to have uh, a timeout for her to learn his or her lesson? How many ounces does it take to fill a container that will hold 24 ounces? 24 ounces. And oh, how we wish that life was simple like that. But it's not. How much is enough? Elijah the prophet said to the Lord, Enough! Lord, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I've just killed 450 men. Ahab's wife Jezebel wants to kill me tomorrow. Kill me. Just, let, just get this over with. A whole day's journey in the hot desert sun. I don't get it. And I end up at this, this juniper tree. I'm no better than my forefathers. Lord, haven't I been faithful to you? Um, what am, did, I, did I hesitate? Did I procrastinate? You instruct me to go to Ahab, the king of, of, of Israel, and he's the most wicked king they've, he's, they've ever had. He's taken after his father. He's, he's outdoing his father. And you instruct me, go confront him. Okay, I did. I got right on it. I said, Ahab, you better get ready. There's a, there's a, a drought coming. Okay, that task was done. And then you instruct me to go to, go to, uh, to the brook of Cherith. And I go. You provide water for me, food. You commanded the ravens to give me food. And, and so, Lord, I'm, ever, I'm, I'm on everything you've instructed me to do. And so the drought started. Okay, I understand that. Just like you promised. That's what I informed Ahab about. Then you instruct me to go to Zarephath to lodge with the widow. Okay, off I go. And so by the time I reach her, I'm hungry, so I ask for food, and she tells me that she doesn't have enough. She only has enough for one meal, and then they're going to starve to death. But then you look upon my heart, and you, te- you instruct me to tell her that her jars of food will never go, go uh, without anymore until the drought is over with. Sure enough, we were fed throughout the whole time. But then, Lord, I don't understand. Then, you t- then you, the boy, get, her son gets sick, and he dies. You lay upon my heart, take him up to my upper room. I lay him down on my cot. Okay, I stretch myself over him three times. Lord, um, can you please restore this life to this boy so that this calamity won't fall upon this widow? Sure enough, you did. I bring him downstairs, downstairs and there, there, see your son lives, I say to the widow. Then, you, then my time was over with. Then you said, now go confront Ahab once again. Okay, I'm on it. No, no time wasted. I get right on it, Lord. And so, so then I bump into Obadiah. And Obadiah, he shares with me that he's not in good standing with King Ahab because he's been providing for, for the prophets. He's been hiding the prophets because of danger. And I inform, then I inform Obadiah. I said, Obadiah, do not worry because you tell King Ahab, I'm on my way. 
calling after calling, challenge after challenge, confrontation after confrontation. Elijah probably had no end in sight in regards to what the Lord had in store for him. He was on a treadmill of godly responsibilities. It says in Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, In thee, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me, no, I'm sorry. In thee, O Lord, I have taken refuge. No, I'm sorry. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. In the fear of the Lord, it is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. It also says in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the, those who run into it is safe. That was his motivation. That is what drove him. He was a type of prophet that jumps out of the frying pan into the fire. No hesitation, no procrastination, no doubts, no excuses. He was on it. He was a man of strong conviction. He had a high level of commitment, and he had a very strong indication of who was giving him the stamina because he knew who was sovereignly first in command, which gave him the position, the rightful command, of second in command. The only thing that was between first in command and second in command was nothing. He knew the importance of that. Hebrews 10.23 Hold fast your confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. How much is enough hope? Let's dwell on that a little bit. Did you know that hope cannot be measured? Faith can. Love can. Those two virtues can be measured. Faith is affected by trials and tribulations or distractions that may hit us blindside. Doesn't it not say in Matthew 6.30, it says, Jesus says, O ye of little faith. That's a measure of faith. That's like putting a ruler onto the, onto the level of, of faith. Hmm, okay, is the, is the ruler taller? Yes, okay, let's work for that. Love can be affected by the love or by the bitterness or resentment that we may have within our souls and maybe a little bit of a sprinkle of, of hypocrisy onto it. But in, in, in Romans chapter 12, 9, it says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So even one ounce of hypocrisy, the love is gone. This is why perfect love casts out all, all fear. But the virtue of hope, either you have it or you don't. Elijah had it. He knew he had it. And so that he, he was able to draw a line in the sand, plant his feet. I refuse to be moved. I will not be moved. There is no need for me to be moved. That's what his standard was. He knew it, and he knew there was nothing between he and the one who is sovereignly first in command. King Ahab? Not so. King Ahab had two commands. Before he was married, he was first in command. Dangerous command. Little did he know what was coming. He married a woman by the name of Jezebel, who was the daughter of Ethbel, the king of Sidon, 
She brought all her baggage of political awareness, influence, power, struggle, whatever she saw her father do, she brought that into the marriage. But unfortunately, because of, of Ahab could not see clearly because he was first in the command, which is a dangerous command, which, which his, his sight is limited, he jumps into the marriage relationship. Now he ends up in second in command because Jezebel is first in command that she's executing the prophets of the Lord and also domineeringly and forcefully and doing what she wants to do to establish the gods of Baal into the tribe of Israel. And unfortunately, Ahab was losing clout. He had no significance within the relationship. The only way that he could find significance is if he got out, out of the house to search for that first command to at least give him some kind of self-worth. Still, the first command, wrong command. He ain't fooling the Lord. Because in Proverbs 21.9, it says, better for a man to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a contentious woman. When, Eli when Ahab had enough of her contention, he was out of the house. Why do you think Ahab is the one who went out to look for vegetation for the cattle? He ain't fooling me. He should not be fooling us. He went out just to get out of her hair, if I may say. And so he wanted to search for some self-worth. Still, first command, dangerous command, wrong command. You see, in Proverbs 17, 24, it says, Wisdom is in the presence of the one who has understanding, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. This is as far as Ahab could see. Aha. But Elijah, he had a nice, beautiful, panoramic view of what was required of him. He could see the position, the high position of submission. He also saw the higher position of submission. And he saw the second to the most maximum highest position of submission. He who gives attention to the word shall find good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Preserve me, O Lord. I have said to thee, O Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides thee. That was Elijah's priorities. He knew where his attention is. He who gives, if I may say, attention to the word. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. But the downfall for Ahab, it says in six, Psalm 16.4, it says, the sorrows of those who barter for another God will be multiplied. Excuse me for a second. Ahab, have you had enough sorrows? He's drowning. He can't hear a thing. He can't hear or see what's coming in his immediate presence because... The eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. It also says in Psalm or in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, it says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire and quarrels against all sound wisdom, for a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. You know, we don't have to do um, a thorough study on those verses of Scripture. All we got to do is, is look at Ahab's lifestyle. I said, oh, wow, what a living example that is for a fool. And King Ahab, 
finally meets up with Elijah, and how dare, how dare he has the audacity to accuse Elijah asking him this question. Is that you, Elijah, you troublemaker of Israel? This is where one who is second in command can outrank one who is first in command. And Elijah, 180 degrees, turns it right around, and he says, No, Ahab, you and your father are the ones who are the troublemakers of Israel. You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have fallen prey to the gods of Baal. You see, in Proverbs 28, 23, it says, He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. This is not a set of words of warm fuzzies for Ahab. It's time to play hardball. It's time for a showdown. And Elijah, he is keeping that line drawn in the sand. I refuse to be moved. I will not be moved. There's no need for me to be moved. Prepare your altars. They agreed. The, prophet, the, the prophets of Baal and Ahab said, hey, yeah, good idea. Whoop, stop right there. Hold on. Did you hear that? Good idea. That's what the prophets of Baal are saying. No resistance, no rebellion, no negotiating. Good idea. Do you know why? Because in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, it says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he will even make your enemies to be at peace, peace with you. It's already established. No confrontation towards Elijah whatsoever. Why? Because the one who is sovereign, first in command, is radiating through Elijah and his surroundings. And these prophets have no idea what awaits them. Not one iota. The whole day is given to the prophets of Baal to do their sacrifice, calling on their God. And I can, we can just picture Elijah just, yeah, he's poking fun at him. What's the matter? Your God is sleeping? Is he on vacation or something? You know? Now, this is the first time. That he, he, Elijah gave the false prophets the whole day, the whole day to do their thing. And by the end, they're cutting themselves, shedding blood. They say, yeah, this is according to our custom. Again, I could picture Elijah say, yeah, whatever. You know? So this is the first time that Elijah kind of crosses the line, if I may say, say, okay, I, I've had enough of your joking around. It's said, nothing's happened. This is the words of Elijah. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known to you that God in Israel, that, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Pretty neat, ain't it? Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked it up, 
licked up all the water that was in the trench. There's labor in preparing the altars. There was also labor in, in Elijah stretching himself over the deceased child. All well and good. But do you notice something? The moment he asked, the Lord responded. You see, in Proverbs 15, 8 and 9, it says, The sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the prayers of the righteous is his delight. The ways of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the Lord loves the one who pursues righteousness. Plain as day. You couldn't make it any simpler. What a perfect example. We're the righteous in Christ. The other place where Elijah has had enough is that when the Lord of hosts, the one who is sovereignly first in command, consumed the sacrifice off the altar, what was said by the prophets of Baal? Oh, he is God! He is God! Elijah said, no, I've had enough of that lip service. You're not genuine. You're done. And he had slain all 450 prophets of Baal. No messing around. Elijah, never, according to the scriptures, never had any experience slaying anyone. But all of a sudden, he slays 450 men. That's, that would be quite shocking. Put yourself in his sandals at that time. Let alone take one life. Lord, are, are you serious? To take the 450 lives? Okay. In the meantime, Ahab, he takes on a third command. He takes on the, the command of gossip. But really, he's not, he doesn't have three commands. He has five commands of which I can identify. The command of self-centeredness, the, the command of selfishness, and the command of gossip. So now he's first, second, third, fourth. To me, in my opinion, he's sixth in command. He's, he is not in the, any healthy commands whatsoever. He goes to Jezebel, and he tattletales on Elijah. Guess what Elijah did to your prophets today? He killed all 450 of them. Is that so? Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah and says, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, okay. Out of character for a second here. Why isn't Jezebel confronting Elijah? He's second in command. Um, Jezebel, you, you, you spoke to someone second in command, which is your husband. Uh, what gives here? It's because the Spirit of the Lord is on Elijah. That's why. She doesn't have the strength or the courage. She's the coward. But Elijah... He receives the threat, and then he runs. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Elijah. Hold on. Um, there, there's something wrong with this picture here. Didn't you just slay 450 men? You, it appears that it, you were able to accomplish that, but you couldn't face a threat. Hmm. What's out of balance here? Lord, I'm, I'm having... I'm th I think I'm having an emotional, nervous breakdown. I've done everything you've asked me under the sun, but I don't understand. I, I, I think I have PTSD. 
But Lord, and I'm only a man, but I just don't understand it. Are are you serious? You're not. Are you kidding? You know, Elijah did not lose his command of second place. He really didn't. It's the vessel. It's the emotional portion of his being that was affected. You see, another indication that he did not lose his second of command. He asked the Lord to take his life. He didn't commit suicide like, like many of our veterans do today. You see, Elijah had his priorities. He was a man of conviction, a high level of commitment, and knew where the source of strength was coming from. And so the journey, he stays under the juniper tree, and just to show you of how much, how close the Lord is to us and how honest he is with us, Elijah is awoken by the angel of the Lord from a nap and he says, awake, eat, drink. The journey is too difficult for you. How personal can that be? Wow, the angel of the Lord. And little did Elijah know that he was going to travel 40 days, 40 nights on one meal. He didn't know that. You see, Elijah thought he had enough, but the Lord knows how much is enough for him and for us. Sometimes we journey through life, and some of us, I'm sure every single one of us, you know, I've had enough, Lord. I I just need a break. Um, Can I have a time out? It's okay to give these vessels a break. Some of us may need to sit underneath the juniper tree to take that rest, to recover. Nothing wrong with that. But the dangerous part is the tree that you're under, when you take advantage of the shade, you want to sit in that shade because there's a comfort in that shade. You want to be protected from the hot intensity of the sun. And so when the sun rotates, it pulls the shade away from you, and you're in the sun again. I said, whoa, this is too hot. You pick yourself up, and you go to the shade again. And the sun slowly walks around that tree. And I'm talking about the capital S-O-N. And as he he walks around that tree, how he so desires to have eye contact with us and answer that question that he has for us, haven't you had enough time under the tree? When will you respond to what, the, what I'm calling you to do? What command are you in? Are you fifth in command, seventh in command? The other dangerous part is, is there any room underneath the juniper tree that might be crowded and people who are getting burnt out serving the Lord, they want to go underneath the juniper tree for a rest, but there's no room. Some of us might need to respond to what the Lord is calling us to do. Is it the command of lack of confidence, command of gossip, command of pornography, command of um, substance abuse, anything? For a long time, I was fifth in command. And I I had to knock them out, get them out of there. So now I'm second in command. Being aware of what could slowly sneak in to those commands of which try to direct or influence our lives. 
you know what we're going to do today? You know, I think we're going to, I'm going to have it, I'm going to have an altar call today. Sometimes we need to take this vessel of ours and, and realize when that Holy Spirit reaches deep down within your soul and he stirs within you, you know, and says, hey, don't, don't you think it's enough time? So yeah, let's do an altar call today. Um, I think it's good for the soul because there is something about a confession. Confession is good for the soul, as it says in Scripture, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. You know, ever since I confessed underneath the juniper tree, I've been out from underneath the perimeter of that tree. And I said, man, I, I just kind of wish I did this years ago. And I missed out on all the blessings. But yet, the Lord is faithful. He can return the blessings back and more. Because you know what? I've never done this before. I've never preached before. I said, no, Lord, you've got to be kidding. No, Jerome, I'm not kidding. It's time. I got out of the shade, and I got in the presence of the capital S-O-N. So if, if the Lord is stern in your hearts, you know that you're saying, yeah, Lord, you, you, got, a, you got a good point there. So, um, yeah, enough said. So if the Lord moves you, come on up, and we'll pray with you, and um, we'll see what the Lord does.